Have you ever taken a step back from your business and asked yourself, what exactly am I building here? Who am I building it for? Or what am I really getting from the work I do every day? There are a lot of voices in the copywriting world lined up to tell you exactly what kind of business you should be building. But are they right? And how could they be if they don't actually know you? Our guest for the 200 second episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is a good friend, Amy Posner. And after more than two decades of working for other businesses and helping others build their brands, Amy is going through this same process of figuring out what her business should look like next. The important thing is she's rebuilding her business to fit what she wants, not what anyone else thinks she should do. We'll get to our conversation with Amy in a moment, but first, this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Accelerator, our 16-week program for copywriters ready to build a strong foundation for their business success. It covers eight different business topics, including things like mindset, specialization, niching, packages and pricing, processes and client management, and even branding and getting in front of the right clients. So if you're ready to stop dabbling and to get serious about your copywriting business, the Copywriter Accelerator is open right now. Go to thecopywriteraccelerator.com for more details. Let's jump into the interview with Amy. Hey, Amy. Welcome back. You are, we were just figuring it out uh, before we hit record, and you are the only guest to be back on and be interviewed for a third time. So you've hit that milestone and uh, really excited to chat with you again today. So why don't we catch up and talk about what you've been up to in your business over the last year or so since episode 120. Okay. Well, I feel honored to be the, to be the only person to get the, to hit the project. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's, it's been an interesting journey in the, in the last year because I've, I've kind of switched my business model, but it has been unexpectedly agonizing. To, to do that. And I've learned a whole ton about like what it means to work on your own stuff and what it means to have help and, and how that all works. So I've really, I've shifted my perspective quite a lot, but mostly what I'm doing is um, I'm working on taking some of the stuff that I've learned and, you know, digitizing it. So products, courses, um, and I've also switched to doing more coaching and client work. So my business looks really different. Tell us like, why has it been so agonizing? Where's the pain? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I'm not sure that I know exactly where the pain is, but I, like there's something tied in there with, with being ready. And, and that's a very esoteric concept, um, but, but, but it's a real, very real one too. Um, and I'm not sure what, you know, what it takes to, to always to, to be ready. So part of it's been that. Part of it for me has been, um, and, and what I mean by ready is like ready to sort of organize it all and, and build a brand. So that, that sort of takes a little bit of, um, a little bit of courage and a little bit of thought. And then the other part of it for me has been um, giving too much. And, and I don't mean that in the sense of generosity, but I mean it in the sense of how you parse information so that it's actually useful. And in the past, what I've done is, is sort of like backed up the dump truck of knowledge and just went, ee, 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 unloaded it all. And I was like, there you go. Um, and I found out that's not really very helpful. Like it's, it's much more helpful to um, teach something small and actionable um, and master that and then keep moving on. It's not the information that's so valuable. There's a lot of information, but it's 
um, putting the information into action and making sure that you're doing it correctly. So, um, so I've, and I've, I've hired people to help me with that because it's not something that I really know how to do. So that's, that's been part of the challenge is like even figuring out what kind of help do I need to figure this out? So it's, I don't know, it's, it's felt, it's felt like a really big hill to climb. Um, and I feel like I'm finally, you know, doing it and like having a pretty decent pace. Let's break it down even more, this, this agonizing process, because it's so fun to talk about. Um, you mentioned you, you know, have to organize it and kind of build a brand in this pivot. Can you break that down for us and just share more specifically about what it takes to organize it, what you've done so far, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what you're still working on, and how you actually can do that in a pivot so any other copywriters listening can benefit from some of those takeaways? It's kind of a winnowing process to some extent. I mean, it's sort of figuring out, I guess, well, for me, I'll say anyway, it was, it was figuring out like two things, like, well, no, three, actually. It's like, what am I good at? What do I love doing? you know, so that I can do it well and be helpful and like sustain some longevity and not burn out. And where is there an opening in the marketplace? Um, because especially, you know, like in creating something for, for the copywriting niche, it's a, you know, it's a, it's not necessarily a small niche, but it's a finite niche. So I've had to kind of think about that and where I can insert myself. And I've been really, and you guys know this, but I, I've been kind of hesitant to build a brand in this space. Um, I've been more sort of latching onto other people's brands, like your brand and, you know, Joanna's brand at Copy Hackers and, and sort of doing some things there. I'm not sure exactly why that wasn't a really deliberate move, but it was a very comfortable move for a while. And suddenly it became, uh, there's like a drumbeat, you know, in the back of my mind started of like, you know, you have, like, it was something I, that I had to do. Like I had to overcome whatever reason it was. I didn't want to do it and, and get it done because I think, I don't know. I almost feel like I owe it to myself and my business and all my years of experience in business to sort of culminate this way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. You know, as I'm thinking about, you know, the previous interviews that we've done with you, where you've talked about your past experience and running an agency and the copywriting that you've done, the kinds of clients that you've worked from, how are you pivoting your business now? What kinds of projects are you working on or products are you developing as you start to pivot your business? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so what I've I've done, which you know, I it, it seems obvious, but it's not that easy to do. Is like to figure out what do, what do I really love doing. I found I'm going to digress just for one second because I think it's it's relevant. I have found that we, and I don't know if it's we as copywriters or we as humans, but we tend to think if something is easy to do, we we devalue it. So like, oh, that can't be worth that much money, or no one's going to pay me to do that because you know it comes so easily. And there's real like merit in realizing that like what comes easily to you might not come easily to someone else and that it has real value. And that sometimes that's where your sweet spot is, right? And the thing that feels easy, because usually the thing that feels easy is usually something that you enjoy as well. What I've done, I guess that's why I was talking about sort of finding like a, a place in the, in the market. I've kind of looked for where I felt like there was a gap um, and, and where a gap that I could fill. And one of the things that I coach a lot on and talk a lot about and really enjoy is, is business skills. So like the business side of making your copywriting business work. So like it's one thing to have, you know, to have great skills, but if no one knows you have those skills, um, you know, you're not going to eat that well. And, and so if you're like a mediocre copy that, copywriter that promotes themselves, is going to eat better than a, you know, an expert that nobody knows about. And so, so part of the, part of the, the goal is, you know, is, is to, or my goal was to like figure out where, where could I 
insert into that equation. And it turned out to be with, with business skills. So it, it feels, so it feels to me like it's, it's something that I love to do. There's a gap in the marketplace. There are some people that are teaching it, but not extensively. And I've seen that it really, really, really makes a difference. So, um, you know, like, cause for example, like you, you could write really good copy and get on a, on a discovery call and be very, very meek and very, not, you know, you're not directing the call and you're not giving the client what they want. Even before, like you think what they want is copy, but before, before the copy that, you know, they want something else. They want to know, you know, who you are and what you can bring to the table and what you're going to do for them. And so um, I think, so some of those things are, are subtle and some of those things I think are really scary for copywriters, partly because people don't have experience with it. And, you know, sales has some stigma. It's like, you know, it's, it's a bad thing and it's manipulative. And, and so I just found, I found like there's a real space for like creating like an ethical conversation that gives you what you want inside of this whole business thing. So that's getting a little granular on, on, on why I've gone this direction, but I've just, I've seen how it empowers people like to, to feel to have that confidence to talk to clients, to run a call, to land a project, um, you know, all of that determines really, it, it, it determines your income, it determines who you work with, it determines how much you like or don't like what you're doing. So I, I, I think there's, you know, they're not the sexiest skills in the world, but they, um, they turn out to be really potent and, and really um, important, I think, in a, in a business. Let's hit pause for a minute. Because this struggle Amy just shared is a real one for so many of us as we grow and change in our businesses. And what really stood out to me are the three key questions that Amy asked and shared with us. What am I good at? What do I love doing? And where is there an opening in the marketplace? Rob, what stood out for you? So I, I like those questions as well, because I think they really do get to the heart of how we serve our clients. But there's also this idea that Amy is touching on where in the corporate environment, there's usually some kind of a career path or a ladder that you're going to follow. And you go from one job to the next and you continue to move up you know, as you go along, or you might jump to another corporation and go through their ladder, whatever. We don't really have that as freelancers or as entrepreneurs building our own business. A lot of the time we have to figure this stuff out on our own. And there's nobody there to say, oh, the next step from copywriter is to start doing more consulting and strategy, or you go from X to Y, that's completely missing from, from the freelance world. And so that really resonates with me as well. Yeah, I think it's important to know how you operate. And this is probably, you know, if you ever worked in a corporate environment before you went into the freelance world, um, maybe you could look at your own track record of how frequently you jumped from one position in one company to a different position in the same company or to an entirely different uh, company or maybe even an industry. And so I know when I look backwards that I jumped quite frequently, especially early on in my career before I went freelance. And so I kind of had this track of like every two to three years, I was ready to move and ready for change and ready for new experiences. And what's interesting now is when I look at how I'm pivoting in uh, my own copywriting businesses, it's the same, it's the same pattern. It's every two to three years, I start to feel that itch. And it's not to break down a business and uh, tear it down and start a new one, but it's to really stop and think and reflect and ask those same questions Amy's asking to figure out how I need to 
change or you know, pivot in my own business. And so it's just good to know how you operate and how frequently you need to make those changes because it could be two to three years for me, but it could be 10 years for you, or it could even be every year you need to refresh and make sure everything's working for you. Yeah. So I'm glad you said that last part because we're coming up on uh, the the end of our third year together and, you know, pivoting away from the copywriter club. That's something that, uh, yeah, you'd scare me a little bit there, but Rob, I'm out. This is my way of breaking up with you. Exactly. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen eventually. <laughs> As I look back at my career, I have the same thing. Like almost every four years, it seems like I've made some kind of a transition, not always uh, to a different um, company or to a different type of job, but to a new opportunity. And I think as we look at the things that we do together, obviously there are new opportunities to do things differently. The rethinking of this show is maybe just one little part of that, but in my own business as well, you know, I've moved from positions as a copywriter to managing a copywriting team to more of a marketing and operations role in corporate management. Then I started my own SaaS company. So I've, I've kind of jumped through those same kinds of things every four years or so up to the point where I had to ask those questions. What am I really good at? And what do I really love doing? And that's what brought me back to copywriting. And this is something that, you know, we talk about in a lot of our programs as well, you know, in the accelerator, in the think tank, in helping the people who are working through those same kinds of questions, figure this stuff out for themselves. Yeah. And that's why we offer it, right? In our programs and other, you can find other programs with other people, but it's, there's this need for a path and for a mentorship. And it's not just because it's fun and it's great to hang out with people, other copywriters. It's because, like you said, we don't have that path and we don't have those mentors the same way that anyone working in a corporate space has that built into it. So we need to carve that out for ourselves and seek it out if it's not there and right in front of us. Yes. So let's get back to the interview with Amy and hear what she had to say next. Because you've worked with so many copywriters and you've coached so many copywriters and um, and even so many big name copywriters too that I know you've worked with, I would just love to hear more about now that you've kind of looked under the hood and from your own experience, what do you feel like it takes to become a great copywriter in today's marketplace? So chops for sure. I mean, you got, you got to have some good skills. Um, but beyond that, you know, I think it takes it takes persistence, um, and and I don't mean to sound cliche about this, but I think it also it's it, it, a bit of it is is your attitude. I mean, it's sort of what you expect and what you're willing what you're willing to do um, for what you expect. So one of the things that that I've taken away from being in business for a long time is that your your success is directly proportionate to your ability to handle challenges and how you perceive those challenges. Because like I've, I've seen, for example, I've seen people, you know, they'll get it like, you know, some kind of an email from a client that's that's critical or that they, you know, that they perceive as negative and they can perseverate. I mean, they can spend, you know, a day or a week, you know, agonizing over that. And what should they do and why did they do it wrong? And what's and it might just, you know, client just the client may be right. Client may be a jerk. Um, it, may, it may just be. a But somebody else can get that same email and go, OK, how do I fix this and get on the phone, fix it, done, move on. And that person is just going to be a lot more successful. So I think I. And, and it sounds it sounds a little bit trite, but I think it's really true, because you know you're, when you're in business, you're dealing with people, and when you're dealing with people, you deal with conflict and problems, and your ability to like move through those conflicts and, and resolve them, 
I think is really determinative of your of your success. It's like if you if you let it roll off your shoulders. And I don't I don't mean that like, you know, you're supposed to be like fake happy or or anything like that. It's just like don't you know, I'm you know, like what's a big deal and what isn't a big deal and don't, you know, don't blow things up um don't blow things up big. And what I see with successful copywriters is they, you know, they, they're dealing with challenges all the time. And you can, like, I almost had this physical image of like, you know, um, like rolling over, uh, like aerodynamically rolling over them. Like it does like air rolls over a plane wing, you know, it's like, yeah, we just roll with it. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's turbulence, but it's expected. We just hang on tighter and like, and keep piloting through. And I think, I think, I mean, I see that in, in everyone. That's really what I think it, it comes down to. I think it's like, you know, the copy skills and the, the interest and the willingness to keep improving those skills, which I think comes if you're a naturally curious person, which also makes a good copywriter. I think that with just the determination that you're, you know, you're going to make this, that you're going to make this work. And of course, behind that, you have to feel legitimate. And there's all kinds of stair steps um, to that, especially in this career, because it's so um, unstructured and everyone sort of makes it up as they go. But that, you know, I, it's pretty simple, but that's actually what I believe it comes down to. So Amy, before we hit record, we were talking about you know, some of the things that you're working on and building and the fact that you have maybe struggled to put the time on it and you've, you've felt some resistance to actually uh, sitting down and, and creating these things, not necessarily because they're hard, um, but just because there's this resistance here, will you talk a little bit about that and you know why maybe you've been feeling that way or or what it feels like you know to want to get something done, but then you kind of have this thing that's keeping you from doing it? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't understand it, but I can I can describe it. I, you know, I it it feels like, and I know other people have experienced this too because I you know they they tell me that they do, but it's there's it's like when you get come up against your own knowledge base or, or kind of what you're, I, I don't know if that's what you call it, but it, it, it's not, a, it's not, for me, it's not a feeling of inadequacy. Like I, I don't feel like I don't know the material. I know I know the material, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to get literally from like this thing sitting in my brain to something that Rob, you can buy and, and, and use. And I don't, I don't like, I'm not a teacher. I don't know how, like, I don't know all the like little levers to push to like, to make something effective. So, I, so what happens for me is like, I, then I, I, but I feel like I have to figure it out. I'm like, oh, well, let me figure it out. So I take a couple of courses and then I still feel like, sure, I can figure it out for you, but I can't figure it out for me. So I, I, you know, what I've come to understand or know, because I don't really understand it, is that doing your, your, getting perspective on your own business and doing things for yourself is really, really difficult. It's very hard to get perspective. It's very hard to, um, you know, well, you can't, it's impossible to see yourself objectively, but it's, it's also very difficult to see what you know, objectively. So yeah, I've just been, I, and I, and I feel a little embarrassed about it because I, and I'm not sure why, but I feel like I should be able to figure this out. I should be able to do this. This shouldn't be so hard. Um, and then of course, when you feel something like that, then you start feeling inadequate. And I, mean, I don't, I don't swim in that. I don't live there, but I just feel it, it's felt hard to to sort of like, you know, I most picture like being like in this hole with no ladder and I'm trying to figure out like, how do I get out of here? Like who's going to drop the right um, tool to fix this or how am I going to find the right tool? So um, I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? Does that resonate? Do you know what I'm, what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, it totally makes sense. I mean, I've heard people say the same thing. I felt the same thing. And I know we were talking about 
uh, Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art, you know, that talks all about the resistance and how it keeps us from doing, oftentimes doing the work that we want to do. And, and that feeling that, wow, this is the project that I'm going to get found out about, you know, they're going to finally figure out that I'm a fraud here. And I think all of us feel that at, at some level. And oftentimes it keeps us from doing the things that would take us to the next level in our careers. Or it's also the opposite for Amy. At least it sounds like it's not about being called out as a fraud. It's more like maybe about the fact that this is your area of expertise and this is an area you're really excited about. And sometimes it's harder to launch the thing that you know is needed in the marketplace and that you know you are best suited to serve. Yeah. And, and you're right, because it's not about being a, like a, an information fraud, but it's like something about being a not, and it's, I guess it's not a fraud, but it's like not being able to adequately do this one piece. Like, oh, if I know all this and I can't convey it, then, then I can, then I can't do that. I can't do this particular thing. And I, I don't really believe that, but that's how it, that's how it feels. And then if, then you get overwhelmed, I do with having to, to figure it out. And you know, it's funny though. It's like, then at a certain point, and I've seen this for other people too. It's like, at a certain point you're ready and it's, and it, and it gets figured out, it gets sorted. And like, I'm at a point now where it feels like, why was that so complicated? You know, I like, did I have to go through that? I don't know, but it doesn't feel so complicated now. It feels like, like, you know, like it was a big knot and we've like untied the strings and they're laying there nice and neat. And it's like, okay, now you just go and like put one foot in front of the other and do the things. But getting here was a long road. Okay. So we're going to jump back in here and talk a little bit about what makes a good copywriter. I really like that Amy has started us thinking about this because so many people are thinking to themselves, maybe as they're listening or as they are working through the actual job of writing copy, am I any good at this? Is this something that I want to make a career and do long-term? So Kira, as you think about your ideas around what a good copywriter is, what does that include? Yeah, well, I really, I like that Amy mentioned, yes, you need copy chops, right? She says copy chops. You need to have copywriting skills. That is something that is ongoing. You never turn that off. You never stop reading the books or learning. So that just needs to happen in the background. But that's a small part of it. And like she says, a lot of it's around the attitude that we have as copywriters. And so when I'm thinking of what I've struggled with or what I've seen other copywriters struggle with or um, really what separates good from great copywriters that we've worked with, it does seem to be about the attitude and more specifically about how you can handle conflict. And as somebody who is, uh, who avoids conflict, I'm not someone who loves conflict, but I've learned, especially more recently in business, that uh, it's impossible to avoid it. And it's really my success and even my own happiness and business growth depends on how well I can handle conflict. And so I've tried to get better at it, still struggle, but when I look at the other copywriters I see and I respect and the ones who seem to be really handling things well and just staying focused, they seem to also be able to handle conflict. And if they have a bad client situation, which we all run into at some point, um, they don't take it personally necessarily. Like they figure out, okay, this blew up, this didn't work well, what can I learn from it? What can I fix in my systems, in my processes, my communication, so that this doesn't happen again? And they kind of separate their own individual selves from the conflict and then move on and learn. And then there are other copywriters that we've seen too who take it personally and then deflate and potentially even pull themselves out of the game for a couple months 
or maybe even longer, or maybe even leave copywriting altogether because they don't keep the conflict in perspective. That's, that's what we all signed up for as business owners. And that's how we get better too. And when you think about conflict, it's not always, you know, an argument or that negative energy. Like it can just be even uh, feedback that, you know, maybe hits, hits you the wrong way, or maybe, you know, there's been some kind of a miscommunication and that creates a little bit of conflict. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be like full on, you know, I, I don't like what you're doing or I don't like who you are or what you stand for. It, there's all, all levels of conflict that can really push us out of our game. True. It's like the hiccups in the road too. It's not an, a huge blowout with a client. It could just be something went wrong, something happened, there was a miscommunication. And so how you handle those small conflicts can reflect how you handle the big conflicts too. What about you, Rob? What do you think makes a good copywriter? So when I think about this topic, I go back to what uh, one of our mentors, Brian Kurtz, uh, has shared in his book, Over Deliver. And he actually gave us permission to uh, reprint this in a newsletter to the underground members. And he talks about, I think it's seven different areas where uh, copywriters need particular skills or character traits. Uh, he talks about hunger and curiosity, smarts passion. He says that really good copywriters need to understand the principles of direct response. And I think that's true. Even if you're only creating content or you like to write top of funnel copy, understanding that the flow of the ideas that you're starting out at the content level or at the top of the funnel still needs to lead to a sell at some point um, is important. Then he also talks about humility and that really good copywriters are humble about their abilities. Uh, we don't always know why what we do works. We have a, a gut feel that something might work, but we're humble enough to want to test and to try and to uh, redo and to take feedback um, you know, as it comes in. And then the last uh, characteristic of a really good copywriter he shares is how you share what you do. So you know, when you show up and you talk about uh, the work that you've done, uh, do you do it in a way that you know, takes all of the credit? Do you give credit to your team or to the people around you or to you know, the people that you're working with? Uh, what kind of a person are you when you talk about that? So adding up, you know, do you have the hunger to, to really go after it? Are you curious about everything and not just you know, uh, a, a couple of pet ideas or topics that you really get into, but you know, you have that wide ranging curiosity that allows you to learn a lot of things that you can then share in your copy as you move from client to client, you know, smarts, passion, all of these things add up, I think, to a really good list of what a good copywriter is. Yeah. Humility is my favorite. When I think of my favorite copywriters and business owners and humans, you know, they all have humility. So I'm so glad that Brian mentioned that too. All right, let's jump back in with Amy. I'd love to hear more about, from your coaching experience, what some of those other challenges are that you mentioned earlier. You talked about you know, sales calls and, and showing up to a sales call with confidence. But from your experience, what are some of those other top challenges? I know you have six top challenges that you help your coaching clients with. Can you talk through those at a high level and maybe offer a piece of advice for each of those challenges or a quick win, uh, something we could implement? So, okay. So one of the things that I, that I talk about is niching and it's a little bit ironic because I was the non-niche copywriter. You know, I didn't niche in an industry. I eventually niched in a, in a copy type, but one of the things that's, that's like, here's a really top level, interesting thing about niching that I, I scratched my head over this for years. It's like, who buys copy? 
right? So there are people that buy copy at different levels. And I think it's really important for copywriters to understand that when they're positioning themselves in the marketplace, because it, yes, anybody that has a flyer or uses words or has a newsletter, you know, either writes or buys copy, but they're not, that those are not necessarily people that are convinced of the power of copywriting and what it does. And so the, the little nugget there is if you have to explain to your potential client what copy is and why they need it, they're not an ideal client. There are a lot of people in a, in a lot of industries that buy copy, that buy copy regularly. People whose job it is, is to, you know, is to buy in chief copy. Um, you know, you may not be ready for that in, you know, in your first, um, I don't know, however long it is for you, when, you know, when you first start, be, become, when you first become a copywriter, but over time, that's something to keep in mind. That's what you want. That's, I think that should be everyone's goal is you should be looking for where, what niche you can plant yourself in, where people are buying copy so that it's going to be a much easier road for you um, to build your skills and connect with those clients than it is to be convincing clients that they need what you offer. So that's one for niching. Well, I, I was just going to say, as far as niching goes, uh, I mean, you've, you've kind of made a little bit of a shift to though, you were the copywriter who didn't ever want to choose a niche, but as you've started creating some of these other products, you've clearly shifted into copywriters. Maybe it's a little bit broader freelancers because a lot of the things that you teach and talk about, uh, are applicable to, you know, freelance designers, freelance programmers, that kind of thing. But you've sort of moved into a niche as you've started to pivot your business. That's true. That's a really good point. And, you know, and I resisted it for a long time because I get bored easily and I, I loved all the new stuff. Like, you know, you take on a project and you get to like research and learn stuff. And, and that was really fun for a while. And then it became not fun. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that the, that work wasn't fun, but I realized it wasn't like the best way to streamline my business. Cause you know, early on it was about learning. Then it became sort of about streamlining and making it, you know, dialing in the amount of money and the amount of time I was working. And, and that's, that's where you start getting a little more strategic about those things. So, you know, it's something that you can do earlier on um, if you're wired that way and probably save yourself some time. So the, the next one is, um, is picking and vetting prospects. And this is one that, that's tricky too, because I think a lot of copywriters feel like what they're going to do is what comes their way. It's like people aren't necessarily proactive about going out and finding the clients they want, which, you know, makes perfect sense because if, if you've not been sort of in a sales and a marketing position before, you know, it's not something that you would, you would naturally know. Um, but I think it's, it's really important, you know, and I know there, there's like this, you know, sort of razor's edge about like how much experience do you have and, you know, who can you work with? Um, but I think clients are a lot more open minded about who they work with sometimes than copywriters think. So, um, what you, you know, what you can do is decide who you want to work with and, start deliberately connecting with them and going after them. You may, you may court them for a year or two years, but I can assure you that if you have a, you know, a, a list of, of who you want to work with and you start working toward that, um, you're way more likely to get there than if you don't know who you want to work with. I mean, that, that seems kind of obvious, but I think a lot of times we sort of, we leave it to chance. And I think if you, you make up your mind who you're, you know, who you're going to work with or that you deserve to work with better quality prospects early on and you identify who those are. I think you just save yourself um, a lot of heartache, but you know, it's hard to know. Cause if you, you know, if you're brand new, how do you know, um, you know, how do you know who to avoid and, and who to, and, and who to, to work with? So I think, you know, that, that same idea of like people who buy copy um, and know how to value the work that you do are your, you know, are going to be your better prospects. The next one is, is proposals. And I'm, I'm really, 
adamant that proposals should read like short sales letters, sometimes long sales letters, depending on the project. But I feel like they should they should really focus on the reiterating the prospects' needs and challenges and your solution to those challenges. Because you know what happens is you have a discovery call, um, and it can be great. You, know, you get along with the person. You've, you've decided you know what your next steps are, and <clears throat> you you seem to like them, and they seem to like you, and maybe you know it's going to be a fit. But what happens is that person walks away from the call. They go back to whatever they're doing, and you know, they're not remembering as much from that call as you are. Um, and what you risk if you don't include your whole argument is A, they've forgotten it. Chances are they've at least forgotten some of it. And B, they may be showing it to someone else that you haven't spoken to in the organization. And if that person doesn't see the whole argument, then they, they you miss out on on sort of uh, your your powers of persuasion. Uh, don't you know, don't get across to everyone in the organization, and that can cause you um, not to not to win a project. And so, less focus. I mean, obviously, a good proposal has to have. Um, have all your deliverables and your pricing and your timelines and like all the logistics. But I think the proposal should always open, um, you know, Hey, Hey, Robin, Kara, you know, here are the, here are the challenges that the copywriter club is experiencing. You know, you've said you need more of this, you need more of that, less this, you know, here's how I see we can achieve that. Um, if I've done it for somebody else, I'll talk about that in brief. You know, when I worked with, um, you know, X company, you know, we started with, you know, a thousand members. And at the end of six months, you know, we had, you know, 2000, because we did X, Y, Z, whatever the numbers are, but, um, you know, the same kind of proof that we use in a sales letter, like let, let people know, Hey, this, this is not my first radio. I've done this for other people. Um, here's how it works. If you can put in numbers, numbers are always great, you know, really, um, <clears throat> to show, to show some really solid results and some proof, but I mean, a bottom line, you want that document to be this, this full 360 degree picture of what you've talked about, what their needs are, how you'll solve the problem. And then, you know, then the deliverables, the logistics become the, the sort of the pieces of, you know, the, the roadmap of how you're going to do that. Because the, the other thing that I'll just add to that is, you know, if you're, well, the, you know, people will you know, scroll through and see the price, right? Sometimes before they read the thing, and then they want to know <laughs> the thing being the proposal, then they want to know, okay, does everyone in everything in here now justify this 5,000 or 50,000 or whatever, um, the bottom line number is, and you know what happens in you know to to the human mind. We know this from from writing persuasive copy is once you you know you, you can picture like a pendulum swinging right and like imagine this pendulum. It's like you know it's in motion and it gets all the way up to the left side. It's like there's nothing for that pendulum to do but drop. And what that looks like in a in a buying situation is you decide you want something and then as the pendulum drops, it's like, well, I've bought something like this before and how do I know I can trust it? And who is this person? And is this really going to work? And all of those, those fears and doubts come in because, you know, we all want to be, um, we all want to be smart buyers, right? We don't want to get burned. And so when they start to think that the whole argument is therein contained and they can go back and read it and go, you know what, that's right. I mean, yeah, this is a lot of money, but you know, imagine what these, you know, having uh, 30 more leads every day will do for my business, because that's what you've told them is, is the goal. And now you've told them how you're going to do it. And so, you know, you're future pacing them, you're painting a picture of what their life is going to be like, which is what good copy does. So they feel the relief. And now it becomes easier to spend the money. All of that is great. And now I'm interested in the other three as well. Like, I mean, there's so much great advice and, and clearly people can see why you're such a good coach because of what you're talking and helping people do. What are the next three? So the next one is, uh, is client wrangling and business challenges. And so, you know, I get a lot of people come to me with all kinds of client challenges, like everything from, 
you know, they, they've, you know, their business coach is, is marking up the copy and I don't think they know what they're talking about. How do I handle it? Or, um, you know, I've raised my rates and I've got this old client that, you know, I, I need to tell and I don't know how to tell them. And, um, or I need to raise my rates and I have no idea how to do it. Or I need to raise my rates and I don't know, um, <laughs> I don't know what they should be. Or, you know, you, you do like all the kinds of roadblocks when people, or, you know, usually when they get something from a client or they want to say something to a client about a situation and they just don't know how and they don't know what the right way um, to approach it is. And so I kind of I, I like to do interventions in, in those um, in those scenarios. And this is like, you know, what I was saying earlier about the things that come to you easily. You know, this kind of thing comes to me really easily. And, you know, for a while it felt like cheating. It's like I, I love solving these problems. I just do. Um and it, it seems like, I don't know, it's, it's like, oh, well, everyone should be able to solve these because they come so easily to me that I feel like I'm getting away with something. So that's, a, that's an example of that. Um, it's like a, a skill I learned from my dad because these, the, these were the conversations we had over our, our dinner table when I was growing up. You know, he owned a business and he'd come home and that's what we talk about, you know, crazy customers and what they did and how he handled it and, you know, funny stories and that sort of thing. So um I, you know, I just get a real kick out of, out of doing that. The other one actually is raise your rates. I talked about it um, inside of this, but you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I was talking to someone yesterday, a coaching client, uh, and they were saying to me, you know, there's this constant drumbeat, raise your rates, raise your rates, raise your rates. And they were saying, I, I don't like, I don't think I need to raise my rates. Like, here's my situation and here's how I'm feeling. So how do I, how do I know if it's, you know, if it's appropriate or not? And it's, it's kind of a funny thing because you're in the, you're in a market space where you don't really know, A, what other people are charging. You do to some extent, but not completely. And you also don't know what people are paying. And so it's very hard to sort of, A, know where to position yourself to begin with. And then to know once you're, you outgrow that, you know, how do you raise your rates? And I have found too, that there's, there's kind of a, um, like a tipping point, like a critical moment in your business for people. And it seems to be, um, What's the word I want to? It, it's um, income driven is what I'm looking for. So it, it seems to be when people get to somewhere in their copy business, like around sixty thousand, like between sixty and seventy thousand dollars, and you know, for an annual income, that that that's about the place where you start asking these questions, like, do I have to raise my rates, or what, how do what do I do if I'm getting like multiple inquiries and my my calendar is all booked. Um, you know, do I need to raise my project prices? Do I need to now do productized services? What about day rates? Um, what about with my existing clients? Because now these new clients are different and I'm doing different work because um, you've built more skills. So so I find that's a, that's a thing to talk through from a lot of different angles because it's not just raise your rates and there's not like a fixed percentage or an amount. It's like, where are you going? Where are you trying to fit into the marketplace? And what are you trying to accomplish for your business? Because I, I find it's a very... Um, it's a very custom thing. And I guess all of our businesses kind of are custom businesses because we're inventing them um, as we go. But I think there's some really strategic ways to do this. Um, and so I like to work with people on the, on the sort of the big picture of their business. Um, Cause it's not always just about like, you know, continually raising your rates. It's about knowing um, you know, what you want your business to look like and what you want your income to be. And then um, you know, sort of matching, matching your rates and your client base um, to those needs. And then the final one, is um, copy chiefing. And copy chiefing is it's one of my favorite things to do. I just really, really enjoy it. And what and I, I like having my copy chiefed as well. So it's, it, it comes back to that thing we talked about earlier about not being 
like the, the objective on your own stuff. And that includes your own copy. And the longer the copy is, of course, the harder it is to, um, <laughs> to chief it for yourself because you've read it, you know, you've read it so many times that you, you start not to know, you start not to not know anymore, you know, if it's good or bad or indifferent, cause you've got, you've got no perspective. And so, so it's really helpful in, in a couple of situations. One is, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's helpful in any situation because people will see things in your copy that you'll never see and things that will, you know, you'll sort of like they're head smackingly obvious, but you just don't see them. So there, so there's that. Um, the other thing is sometimes I see this a lot copy that um, sort, sort of starts in the middle, like the lead is buried. And I think it's, it's nerves. Like, you know, we, we have like a certain amount we have to get out and say and get on the page and then we really get down to it. So I, I've often copied chief something where I'm reading it. And I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not, it's not doing what it needs to do in the initial part. And then I'll get down like four paragraphs and like, boom, hits me between the eyes. And that's, and, and then when you, you know, chief that with someone and you explain to them why, and they can sort of start to see their patterns, um, they can improve their copy. The other thing that you can do is you can teach um, copy theory as you're chiefing the copy. And so it's the kind of it's the kind of hands-on learning that really sticks because it's like you know you're actively involved in it and you really care either it's for your business it's for or it's for a client and you you know you really want to do the very best job you can do you want it to be good you want to make sure you know your formulas work and your um, you know and that you've you've sort of checked the box of like every rule that you need to um, make sure that you've used or not used or used properly. Um, and so when I chief a piece and I can tell somebody, you know, like something I see often, like, you know, where, where people don't, you know, their, their bullets don't work or they're writing, um, from the viewpoint of the business or the business owner, they're not writing from the viewpoint of the reader. They're not, you know, they're not dialing into their perspective enough. And it, it like, and if I say to someone, okay, so take that sentence that's about you and make it about your reader. And people give you that deer in the headlights look like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know how to do it. But if you show them and then they practice it, you know, the light bulb goes on instead. And they're like, oh, oh, OK, this makes perfect sense. But you need to it's almost like you need to like I'm like writing with my hand in the air. It's like you need to literally have done it through your own fingers to connect it to your brain. But the thing that I love, and I used to run um, something called Copy Clinic, where that's all we did was copy chief. And the thing that I love is you would see people's copy get better. It took it usually took about two months, but like in the third month people were really writing better copies. So I, so I love that because it's like, even if you just look at a piece of copy once um, and you guys know this, cause you do it too. I mean, you, you can see things to improve and it's not always cause like, you know, you're the, the better expert. It might just be because um, you're, you, you've got fresh eyeballs on the copy, but it's, it's really, really helpful. So Kira, Amy is sharing uh, some of these things that she likes to work with with clients. Let's talk about a couple of these, maybe in a little bit more depth. In particular, maybe we can talk about the problem of finding prospects. Yeah. Well, when I think about finding prospects, what really stands out to me, because it's a struggle I see so many of us having as copywriters, is finding our, our dream clients, right? And I know dream clients sounds so cheesy, but it's a real thing. We don't want awful clients and we don't want mediocre clients. We want ones that excite us and we feel aligned with and blah, blah, blah. And that can pay well. Um, and so what seems to happen is that we take the clients that find us. And if we're marketing well, then better clients tend to find us. But 
we're, we're not really in control of that. And you may end up working in a space just because you kind of fell into it because you started attracting certain clients. And it just seems like we could be more intentional about finding dream clients, finding prospects. And I'm saying this to myself as well. And so what we've started doing with the Copywriter Accelerator Program and really in any any of the groups that we're running is to to force, or I guess not force, but challenge other copywriters to create a list of their dream clients and just create a list of 20 dream clients and give yourself the freedom to just go really big and to, or just to figure out someone that you are connected to that you would love to work with and to then find the patterns and notice what they have in common. Maybe they do have something in common. They share similar values, or maybe they're a certain type of business that you're attracted to, but going through that process of really just allowing yourself to look through you know, for me, it's like looking through magazines and finding different companies in People magazine, for instance, um, just to write down names of clients that I could potentially want to work with or brands I follow on Instagram and to just start to collect them and be more intentional and proactive about reaching out to them rather than, again, just kind of taking the clients that come our way. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as a whole, I think we'd solve a lot of the problems around niching and finding prospects and struggling with prospects um, if we were more intentional about creating that curated list. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, you talk about dream clients and having, say, those five to 10 clients that you would do anything to work with. And then obviously there are good clients too that maybe aren't on that dream list, but they get you moving towards you know that. So you know, if I'm working in the SaaS space and I think, oh, you know, HubSpot is this big name in the SaaS space or Salesforce is this big name in the SaaS space and I want to work with them someday, they may be on my dream list, but the way that I get to them is going to be working with a bunch of maybe medium-sized companies on my way to that really big step. And then, of course, there's that third uh, group of clients that are also good to work with. And you and I, we've we've started calling them anchor clients. And that's a client that's maybe not the perfect fit for the kind of work that you want to do, but they're really good at helping us earn money, pay the mortgage. You know that the work is going to come in every month and really give you that safety net so that you can now spend some of your time going after those good and dream clients. Yes. I love the idea of working with anchor clients and a balance of those anchor clients and those dream clients, just again, to be more in control of the businesses that we're building. And Amy also mentioned, of course, money and rates. And I know she uh, helps copywriters figure out their rates because this, as we all know, is a huge struggle um, in the space that we're in. So how, how do you look at rates, Rob, when you're thinking about what to charge? Well, I think we talk about this a lot in, again, a lot of the groups where we're at, and I th we all have this tendency to underprice ourselves because the default is to, to think about how many hours is something going to take me and price by some hourly rate that we have in our head. But that's really not the best way to price the work that we do. We should be pricing for the value that we create. So, you know, if, if we can't create value, if the work that we do doesn't actually help move a client's business forward, we're not going to be able to charge much for it. But on the other hand, if we can create a lot of value, then we should be able to charge more for our work. And maybe let me just sort of throw out an example. So let's say that you are working on copy for a launch. And because you've done this a lot of times and you've got things set up almost templated so you know exactly what needs to be said at what stage, maybe you can do this work, say, in uh, 10, 12 hours and get it done and out the door. 
Well, if you reach out to your client, say, I can do this work, I can help you with your launch, and it's going to cost, say, eight, nine thousand dollars. The the psychological thing that happens here is that when you take eight thousand dollars divided by ten, you're charging eight hundred dollars an hour for this work. And that is a really hard thing to justify to ourselves and to our clients. On the other hand, if you say it's you know eight thousand dollars and this launch is going to create a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars of value for your business, now what you're doing is you're collecting, say, eight or four percent of the total amount that you're creating. And again, psychologically, that's a lot easier to justify to yourself and it makes more sense to the client. So that's a really long way of saying I think we make a lot of pricing mistakes because we approach it from not from a value standpoint, but from, you know, an hourly standpoint or what do we think our clients are going to be able to pay us. Yeah. And also when I think about rates too, what's helped me you know, just kind of break away from the hourly uh, rate and thinking as well is to start to build a team. And even if you your goal is not to build a team, you have zero interest in that. If you have struggled with pricing or with determining rates and you feel like you constantly are undercharging, it may help to just kind of experiment with a team for a project or two. And with a team, I mean, maybe you bring on one collaborator a subcontractor, maybe you partner with someone on the project. Um, and then maybe you also bring on an editor. So I typically work with an editor. Um, and so once you have two people that you're paying out on a project, it changes the way that you think about pricing because all of a sudden you're thinking about yourself as a larger entity, um, as a team, as a business, and not necessarily just this freelancer working hourly. So again, even if it's not your style and you don't want to build out this huge agency or team, um, it's worth just testing a couple of projects that way because it will change the way that you think about how to charge for projects so that you can get paid and you can pay your subcontractors and your team members that you bring on and you can pay them well for their expertise and their time. And so that really helped me just change the way that I looked at pricing entirely. Yeah, I like that a lot. So let's go back and hear the rest of our interview with Amy. And one other thing that it's really useful for in the coaching um, scenario is when somebody has a, a client that they really want to impress. And you know how it's like if it's your dream client, you, you know, your, your copy is just as good as it is for the other clients, but you're more nervous about them reading it. Um, it can be really helpful to have a second set of eyeballs and somebody to like tell you, even walk you through the copy. So when you walk through it with your client, you know how to defend it because you may know like why you did something, but you may not know the, the sort of technical language or how to talk about it. And when somebody else gives you that idea, um, plus somebody else has vetted it and told you that it's worth defending, you, you feel a little more confident and you feel, um, you feel better about the whole process. So, you know, is it always worth doing and, and spending money on? Not necessarily, but you know, sometimes, sometimes it is. And I think that the added benefit there is when you do that, you, it's like, it, it sticks, it's permanent. You don't go back to not knowing that thing. You've become a better copywriter um, in, a, in a really hands-on way. So <clears throat> I think it, it's a, it's a really, it's a really potent, it's a really potent um, use of, of knowledge, I think. And it, when it works great. So that's, that's one I love. You mentioned client wrangling and, and I think you know, anyone listening understands the importance of that. And so can you just share maybe one of the more 
pressing or more popular client wrangling problems that you've seen with copywriters? Maybe it's boundaries or something else. And how the advice you'd give to deal with that challenge. Yeah, you know, it feels like a lot of it has to do with sort of like relational positioning, like how people feel in relation to the client. Like, do you feel like like they're equal or like a team member or do you feel like the hired hand? So I think that, that that's one thing. It's just to think about, um, like, see yourself as a professional, like see yourself as, as an equal to them so that you don't feel so intimidated in dealing with them. And to know that, like, you know, in business, people do things like, you know, raise rates and change change policies. And, you know, it's perfectly normal and expected. But a thing that I that I see a lot is not knowing how to communicate, like not knowing what your role is sort of as a project leader. And this is an important one because it, because once you get this and start to demonstrate this, clients see you differently. So I think, and what I mean by that is like, so you're working on a project and you've got a timeline. Um, do you, like, how often are you in touch with your client? Are you keeping them apprised of what's going on behind the scenes? Are they reaching out to you? Like you never want someone to have to reach out to you to say, uh, what's going on with the project? So we'll put things in place like, like a process for keeping people in the loop about what's about what's going on and I, and, and being able to identify who your contact is, how that person wants to be communicated with. So it's really, and I feel like I'm not answering the common challenges. I'm kind of off on some things to do, but I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. But I feel like if you have, like, if you have a process for something, processes are really reassuring for us and for our clients, because they, they feel like you're in control when you have a process um, and a way that you do something. And, and that's what you bring to the table, because ultimately what they're looking for is someone to like handle something for them. Right. And so when, when they've, when they can hand it off to the expert and know that it's taken care of that, that's worth, a, that's worth a premium to people. And so what I see commonly is that people are unsure, like, how do I, how do I relate to them? What's, what's my role? And so what I tell them is, is to try and step up their communication and find not just communication, but like how they, how they communicate and, and to communicate like as a professional, as an equal. And, and when people don't know how to do that, it's often like, like, how do you be the boss, right? How do you be the one that's in charge of the, of the situation? And so often people have to like dig into their past and think about like when they've been in the situation to be like the leader or to be the one, um, who gives direction. So that's something I, I see a lot is this like deferring to the client and, and people don't do it because they're, they're meek or, or mild. I mean, they may be, but that's not, it's about not knowing what their proper role is and feeling like they don't want to be too bossy or too aggressive. And I don't think you do want to be bossy or aggressive, but you do want to be in charge. Um, you want to do it graciously because, you know, you're dealing with a, you know, a business owner often, or, or somebody, you know, in a role where they're used to, to being in charge as well. Um, but it's really, it's really a relief for them. So that's, that's, that's one thing I see. Another thing that I see is, and you mentioned boundaries and it's just that it's, um, and that can come to communication too, where, you know, where somebody wants something and they want to do it on their terms. If you have a process in place for, you know, how often we communicate, how you, um, convey changes to me. Um, if you have those in place and you lay them down, people are more likely to follow those rules. If you don't lay them down, they will make up the rules. Um, and, you know, they're not necessarily trying to give you a hard time. They just, they got to do something. So they, they fill in the blank if you don't. So I think the, the main thing is, 
you know, understanding overall what clients want and taking control of the project in a way that makes them feel confident because they've got, they've got someone reliable and in control. And, and I just say one more thing about that. I mean, there are a lot of freelancers apparently who are pretty flaky. And so that that's a fear that clients have. It's like, is this person going to be reliable? Can I count on them? And so when you demonstrate your sort of boss qualities and say like, you know, this is how it's going to go. This is how I do this. Um, you know, here's, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. Um, people, people f- feel reassured. And what copywriters need to know is that's not going to make them feel like, you know, who is this person? Like, what are they coming in and, and telling me what to do? If you do it in the right way, they're going to feel like, wow, here's, you know, here's a professional that can, that can really handle the project. So I went all over the map for you there. Yeah, a little all over the map, but really good stuff. Uh, I mean, it's basically this is more than a podcast. This is like a a coaching section session in your uh, iPod app. So, um, thanks for that. I want to shift the conversation just a little bit and ask you, Amy. You know, how do you push yourself and and improve and stay hungry and continue to grow as you're thinking through all of this stuff? Like, what is it that keeps you engaged and growing? It's a good question. I think loving what I do, I, I just find it really interesting and fascinating. So, it, you know, that, so that motivates me. I think, you know, one of the most interesting things about, about being a copywriter is, you know, you have to be curious, right? You have to like sort of just be interested in a lot of different things. And I love that about this business. So it feels like, I don't know, it feels, it feels really easy to stay, to stay motivated in, in that way, like in the, in the um, improvement, improvement way. And I'm also competitive. You know, I, I mean, I'll admit it. I like, I see other people doing stuff and it's like, huh, I want to try that. Or I want to be good at that. Or I want to master that. Or huh, I want to add that to my skill set. So um, yeah, seeing what other people are doing and, you know, not, not trying to like overtake them or get on their turf, but it's like, oh, it, you know, it's it, like, it sparks something in me. Yeah. Copywriters are a competitive bunch. <laughs> what I found I'm competitive as well. So it's, um, Amy, let's talk about partnerships because you you've had some great you have some great partnerships and you mentioned that early on that you started kind of building your brand alongside some of your partners can you just talk about what some uh, who are some of your per- current partners and what makes a good partnership how do you look at partnerships how can copywriters enter in and benefit from some really strong partnerships I've had experiences on both ends of the spectrum. So I've learned a lot about it and, and about a lot about what works for me. And, and I think to some extent, it is a really personal thing about, you know, like what your, what your parameters are and what your criteria are for, um, for a partner. But, you know, I've been thinking a little bit lately about the, you know, the concept of the third mind. So, you know, when you have two people and obviously you each have your own individual brains and thinking and thoughts, but when you work together on something, there's a third mind that's created, right? It's that entity that shared entity. And I think I love that shared entity. I like the energy of it. I like talking about ideas. I like, I like doing things with people. What's been challenging for me in, in doing that in doing partnerships is um, I move really fast and I, so I need somebody else that moves fast. Otherwise I get resentful and I feel like I'm pulling all the weight or I feel like they're not like as engaged as I would like them to be, which is, you know, hundred percent my problem. But that's, I just know that I need to work with people um, who, can keep, who can keep my pace. And so I think, you know, coming to this third mind thing, I think like a partnership is a good idea when, when the two of you together can do something that neither of you could do alone. 
um, and I don't mean like literally logistically, but that it ha- that it has more value um, when you do it together, either for you and or for the people that you're that you're serving. Um, and so right now, for example, so I, I'm a partner in the um, the Copy Hackers 10x Freelancer Program. So I'm a coach in that in that program. Um, and, you know, one of the things I love about that is I, you know, I think I love working with Joanna. She's, you know, she's brilliant. She's got a certain way of working. Um, and I learn things from her and I learn things from that community. And I just, I love, I love being part of it because I also love, you know, giving that, you know, being able to do that extemporaneous advice that, that I get to do in that forum. Um, and we're also, it, it, when and if um, we can ever do things in person again, we're, we're planning to do some in-person um, coaching, which is really fun because we play really well off of each other. We're very, very different. We're sort of opposite in personality style in a way. Um, and people like that about us. It's like, it makes, it makes a good, it makes a good combination. I think there's a certain, I don't know, I don't know if it's fair to call it like a certain tension. Um, but I think that works really well. So, and, and we're going to, we're probably going to run another mastermind together as well. So I really like that. Um, I've done some things with with you guys. You've been very supportive in, in helping me, like when I launched my copy clinic. Um, you helped me with that. You guys have helped me with with some other things where you've just been, you know, gracious and sharing, like you know who you know and what you know with me. Um, and the other person is um, Christy Fanton. She and I did a um, a program together. I don't I'm like, what year is this? What season is it? I have to remember. It was like just a few months ago um, called Business Badassery, where we helped people um, do a thing, like take something that they really needed to do in their business that they've been putting off in some cases for months or years. And like we worked with them to get the thing done. And I loved working with Kirsty because we both work fast. We complement each other well in that we've got we've got different knowledge bases, but we but we fundamentally sort of have the same viewpoint. So we may get there a different way, but we but we see things the same. And I guess you know, sort of wrap this up. I think that maybe the most important thing is that you have a shared vision, or that you see either the copy space or what you're trying to create or what you want to do for people or with people, how you want to serve them. If that's an alignment, it feels to me like some of the other things are, are logistics. But if you, if, if you don't have that where you can sort of work easily with the person, then everything can become a, a hassle. It can become a roadblock and, you can, and things start to feel heavy. So I think you know, it needs to be the right person and you need to set some boundaries up before because I, I will say this, it is way easier to talk about money and financial potential when there isn't a ton of money that you're working with. Um, so you should find, like, find some things out about that person and, and cover some of the tough stuff, like eventualities um, on the front end. Because if you find you can't do that effectively together in theory, you're never going to be able to do it effectively when the going gets tough. And it will get tough. I mean, things, you know, if, if you stick out, if you stick with somebody, you know, you're going to inevitably run into some things. But I, I think there's just a lot of power um, in working together. And I said one more thing, but this is truly one more thing. The other thing that I learned is like, you can have partnerships like I do now where I do this over here with that person. It doesn't mean I do everything with them. So I have, I have things I do alone. I have things I do with other people. My, my idea of partnership used to be like all in, you know, everything, we're doing everything together. And I think that um, that's something to be cautious of and something to be aware of that you don't need to do that. Cause I guess I didn't realize that um, back in the day. Okay, Amy, <laughs> I think Rob might have been asking a question, but he's muted. Uh, so tell us about your newest, one of your newest offers, Coaching on Demand. And um, 
the catalyst for it, although I think we've already led into the catalyst for it around these six core problems. So tell us about what this is and what it looks like and um, why copywriters might want to take advantage of it. Yeah, so so it kind of it, it kind of fits with the way I like to work and what I see people needing. So I get a lot of people who want to just ask like one-off questions or want to know, you know, can I help them solve one problem? And so I used to do like long-term one-on-one coaching, like you know, minimum of three months, and it was often six months. And while I like that and I think it's it's helpful for people, I kind of like to move in the in, the, in a faster-paced world. And so I came up, so what I did was I identified like, what are the six things inside this sort of business of copywriting um, space that people ask me about? And I broke up, broke it out into those six categories I've talked about. And so people can come in and just like work on that one thing for 30 minutes or 60 minutes um, and, and be done and just like get some really very laser focused advice and input and strategy and they can come back if they want to, but they don't have to if that's all they needed. So it felt like there was a need for just these sort of like one and done kind of coaching opportunities. Because the other thing I think that happens when you've got something pressing like that, like, you know, like, ah, I've got this client challenge and I, I like I need to figure it out right now. And you start Googling around and you start asking people and sometimes you come up with the answer, but sometimes you still feel really shaky inside. Like, I don't know, is this really a valid answer? And is it something I should do? And is it something I should do in this situation? Um, and I found, you know, if we look at the problem together, we can just like we can just figure it out and the person can go on their way. So I think it, it's my hope is that it will because um, this is a new offering. My hope is that it will be. um will just serve that kind of missing space where people need high level help and they need serious focused help, but they don't need, you know, they just, they don't need it on an ongoing basis. So Amy, I have lots of other questions I want to ask you and we're like right out of time. So you may end up being the first guest to come back four times, uh, even if we bring you back. <laughs> but just to just to wrap before we uh, before we wrap it up, where do you see marketing and copywriting going as we move into uh, you know the rest of this year into the future? Uh, what do you see happening? You know, I, it's interesting. I I think my answer is a little different now. Like sort of you know in the in in the thick of COVID than it would have been like you know four or five months ago. Um, and I'll just say, because, you know, we all, we went to your incredible event. Um, I, I feel like that was a line in the sand for a lot of us. Like we were at the copywriter club, you know, in real life in San Diego when like everything was unfolding and then we went home to a new world. And so for a lot of us, that event is sort of this like before and after line, but I, you know, I didn't know, none of us knew what would happen, but as it turns out, we're more in demand than ever because guess what? Everyone's online. There's, you know, and, and we help people online. We write, you know, we write the, the copy that they need. So I, I suspect this is going to go on for some time. I think that this is going to be a shift to more, you know, more work online and more need for copywriters. I also think that I just have this feeling from what I'm, what I've been seeing that people will get more and more niched and more and more focused and that there'll be people who do like very, very focused, um, I don't want to call them one-offs, what do you call it? Like, like very focused offerings where, you know, they're helping you like just with your like abandoned cart sequence for e-commerce, maybe even in a certain type of niche, like, you know, in health or in beauty or something like that. I think people are going to get very niched and, and be able to um, deliver really high quality work, high value work 
at a good price. I think, I think it's going to be good. I, and I'll just say one other thing. I've seen a lot of the AI and I'm just, I'm not feeling it. Not, not at this point. Um, I saw one I thought was really good and I was so impressed with it. And then I saw the output and I was like, yeah, okay. Humans still have a place in the world for quite a while to come, I think. Okay, so as we're wrapping up the interview here, I just want to make a comment about what Amy was saying about relational positioning. This is something that we've talked about, uh, and we've called it status alignment. That's a term that uh, Oren Claff mentions in his book, um, Flip the Script. And it's all about making sure that your relationship with your client has some kind of an alignment that makes sense. So, you know, clients want to work with people who are at their level or maybe slightly above. They don't want to work with vendors. They don't want to work with, you know, if they're hiring a copywriter, they don't necessarily want to work with somebody who positions themselves as a supplier or a vendor. They want to work with somebody who is a consultant level or somebody who brings a lot of experience to the table. And so thinking through how your relationship with your client here um, affects what you say, how you conduct your calls, I think is really important and maybe something that we don't talk enough about as copywriters. It's okay to take control of the calls, not just the sales call, but your client calls, you know, when you're asking for information, when you're doing research, when you're presenting the work that you're, that you're giving to your client, take control of that call, take control of the relationship, because this is something that you own and clients really do expect to get that from a consultant uh, if the client's taking control and calling all the shots, they're seeing you as a vendor, as a supplier, and that's never going to work out as well when it comes to getting paid or how you're treated and the kinds of client problems that can come up that we talked about earlier. And it's never too early to start, even if you're like, hey, I'm that's cool, but I'm not a consultant. I've just been doing this for a little while. Um, it's never too early to start showing up with your clients when they hire you even before they hire you on sales calls and ask questions that indicate that you aren't just there to take orders, but you're there to solve really big problems. And we can, I mean, that's what we all are. We've said it before. We're problem solvers. So it's, you can always figure out questions. I mean, as copywriters, that's what we do. We just ask questions and we ask better and better questions. And so what can you ask on a sales call to solve the problem and figure out what the problem is that your client may have. And then once they hire you and you know what the problem is, um, how can you ask more questions throughout the entire project, not just the kickoff call, throughout the entire scope of the project to solve the problem and to possibly solve future problems after this project is over. So it's again, like this is something we can do. We're all good at this. We're all good at asking questions. So let's do it more as copywriters to show up as more of a consultant. Amy also mentioned partnerships, Rob, and I know this is what I love about the way that Amy has built her business because she has these strong partnerships that she mentioned. And you and I know a thing or two about partnerships. <laughs> I may have some, we may have some strong opinions about partnerships. Uh, but what I really like that she mentioned is she mentioned this idea of a third mind, a third mind that when you put these two people together, there's almost like this shared entity. And it's almost, it's what we've talked about before. It's like one plus one equals three. And so, you know, you and I have been able to experience it working together, knowing that you've got your expertise and skill set and X factor, and I've got my own. And when we put it together, it always is more powerful than if we were just doing the work alone. 
But what's really cool about it is I also think when you work with a partner, whether it's in your business or whether it's just on one project and less of a commitment, there's also this other mysterious factor that you may not even be able to define. And I think that's what Amy was talking about too. Just like there's almost this, I hate to call it magic, but I will, even if it is a little bit woo, there's this magic that happens when you put these people together or even a couple different collaborators together. Um, and you never quite know what that will look like until you've tested it for yourself. Um, but it is something that's really powerful. And I think you and I are trying to figure out what that is for us, even though you know your strengths, I know my strengths. Um, when you put the two of us together, there's something else that happens that we're still trying to figure out what that is. But it's definitely worth experimenting with as copywriters, whether it's jumping in and creating a new business partnership, which is a big investment and commitment, or just finding a collaborator for a project or for a webinar or for an event. So it's less of a commitment. Yeah. When it comes to partnerships, I think there's something to be said for finding a partner that has uh, a lot of different skill sets than you do, or a lot of different beliefs and life experience. So you and I are different in a lot of ways. And the team that we've started together around us as we work together is also different. And hearing their perspectives, their ideas, it, it makes that shared entity, the third mind, even more powerful. And like you said, you know, when, when you and I are writing something together or we're working on a training together, the one plus one really does improve it. And if we bring in somebody else to give input as well, it, it can get even better. And so partnerships can be a really good way to grow businesses and copywriting businesses is, is a great example in different ways and in good ways that uh, can make a big difference in the careers that we're all building. Yeah, and I would just challenge, you know, anyone listening who's thinking, I, I, you know, I'm a solopreneur, although maybe you wouldn't say that, but like I don't collaborate. That's why I left the company I was working with. I want to do my own thing. I've got my own direction and I want to have control. I just, I don't know. I would challenge you to just be open-minded about it and to test it to a small degree because I thought the same thing. And before partnering with Rob, I was like, I don't ever want a partner. Why would I want a partner? And still took a couple of months to even convince you that it was a good idea after that. <laughs> so right. And, and maybe you felt the same way, but I just, I didn't get it. Um, and of course, there are always partner stories gone wrong, but um, just keep an open mind because I wish I would have had more of an open mind, you know, years ago before we partnered. I'm glad you you opened your mind finally because it, it feels pretty good. <laughs> So we want to thank Amy for taking the time to tell us about her business and what she's working on now. She's not only a great copywriter and a coach, but we both consider her a really good friend. And so thanks, Amy, for joining us on the podcast. To connect with Amy, go to her website, amyposner.com. There you'll find information about the coaching that she does. She has a couple of lead magnets there. I think there's even a link to her new YouTube channel. So check all of that out. It's all there at amyposner.com. And now that you're at the end of the show, our intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. You can learn more about programs like the Copywriter Underground and the Copywriter Accelerator by visiting thecopywriterclub.com. And be sure to join our free Facebook group so you don't miss out on any of the awesome copy-related discussions that happen in the club every day. Thanks for listening and 
Have a great week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.